0: I get a chance to, uh, to, to sit and be ministered to uh, today by a dear friend of mine, Pastor Will Fillingham from uh, Christiansburg, Virginia, is here today. Will has been a, uh, a joy to watch, and I am so very proud of him. He and his wife, Janice, lead a phenomenal church up in Christiansburg, Virginia. And when I met Will probably 25 years ago, that dude was a mess. <laughs> Lost no vision, just walking through life, living for himself, and through uh, just an incredible encounter we had with one another, we became friends, and I became his pastor, and he was called into ministry, and and, uh, if I were a Paul, this would be one of my Timothys that over the years, uh, God has used in a great way, he is a wonderful a communicator doing a great job up in Christiansburg, and I am so very proud of what God has done in his life, and I'm honored to be his friend and his former pastor, and he's been a minister here many, many times at Pine Castle, and I'm going to sit on the front row, and I'm going to be his biggest cheerleader, and I want you to do that too. Would you please welcome Will Fillingham today to Pine Castle.
1: Hey, good morning, Pine Castle family. It's good to be back with you again. Everybody doing well? Thank you, Jeff. Good to see my friend Jeff Steinberg. We had him up in Christiansburg here about maybe a year and a half before, after COVID. It all kind of runs together anymore with the COVID stuff going on. Uh, Good to see him and Scott and Austin. My wife, Janice, sends her love. She was supposed to be with you all just a few short weeks ago for Mother's Day, and um, uh, she and my daughter, my youngest daughter, both came down with covid that week, and so they had to cancel the flights. And she's actually with me in Florida. We traveled in this week for a conference down to Convention Center, and uh, she is just wrapping up her first year in a Master of Theology program. And she has a giant project due today by 3 p.m. And so she said, Can I please finish this project for my, my degree or my master's program? And I said, Of course, because I'm never going to get one, so you do it on my behalf, honey. <laughs> and um, I'm right there with you in spirit. But it's good to be back at Pine Castle and everybody in Christiansburg says hello to the Pine Castle family. Um, You're in a a series this year on the book of Psalms. And, And I love to preach and every year when Pastor Scott calls and says, hey, will you come? You know, Pastor Scott, he's got to have a theme for everything. So the hymns, the Psalms, he challenges me. He challenges me in my sermon preparation. It had been a long time since I had been in the book of Psalm and just brought forth a message of the richness and the poetry and all that encompasses who God is in this wonderful book. And so I did a lot of research and and I landed on Psalm 42. And forgive me, have you ministered on Psalm 42 yet? Okay, we're in Psalm 42 today. We're going to look at this psalm. We're going to look at the entire psalm. And it's it's not a message I would normally preach. I'm I'm kind of this preacher that likes to like, get you excited and pump you up and fill you with vision and joy and inspire you. But yet, as I studied Psalm 42, as I spent a lot of time, a John Piper, a wonderful theologian, did a lot of time and study and research in Psalm 42. And I was looking over his, his notes on it. Just It came alive in me because there's something of Psalm 42 that's a lament. And it's, a, it's about a, a man. It's not David. I believe it's one of the sons of Korah. It's about a man who hungers for healing. He's in a state of affliction. He's in a possible state of depression. He's possibly dealing with trauma. We don't know what is going on. And in the midst of it, he's crying out for God. He's lamenting, Lord, where are you? But yet he never loses hope in who Jesus is or who the Lord is in his life. And it just ministered to my soul and I want to share it with you this morning because I believe, even as we prayed this morning, even as Pastor Scott prayed for healing over people, that there's many of us in here this morning who are walking through seasons of depression. Maybe you're walking through a season of affliction, of trauma, of of emotional unhealth, of, of mental instabilities. You're crying out and saying, God, where are you? I don't feel like myself. This is not me. It's not who I am. And oftentimes in the church, as we'll see in this psalm, we create this atmosphere. Forgive me, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk down on the church right now. Capital C Church. We create this stigma that somehow our faith is less than if we go through times of affliction in our life. Would you agree with that? If somehow we haven't believed in God enough, you haven't prayed enough, you haven't read your Bible enough, you haven't confessed Scripture enough, you shouldn't be going through that. It's your fault. You are doing something wrong in your faith walk. And we don't give people the liberty and the margin to process through their hurt and their pain and their affliction, their trauma, their depression, knowing that Jesus is still on the throne of their life, but yet they can still process the trauma of depression and affliction. And we're going to see that in Psalm 42, that the writer, although he never quite reaches his goal of where he wants to be, he never loses hope in who his God is. And today the message is titled, Doing Affliction Well. Or maybe you, you, you self-title it, maybe it's doing depression well. Maybe it's doing trauma well. Maybe, maybe it's doing mental health challenges well. Can anybody relate? Is there anybody in here that has had to deal with these kind of issues? How how do we do it well? It's not always about conquering it, it's about how do we do it well and not lose our hope in Jesus. Would you join me in Psalm 42 this morning? The famous psalm, heard about it, old worship choruses, written from it. I'm going to read the entire psalm with you, feel free to read along with me. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, as deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By the day the Lord directs His love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Has anybody ever felt forgotten by God? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? Why must I go about oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer, mortal agony My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Here it is again, where is your God? And again, the writer states, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Oftentimes when we go through challenging situations in life, those afflictions, those depressions, those anxieties, those things that we don't have the answers for, the things that we want to go away really, really fast, when we go through those, we're surrounded, we turn to the church, we turn to the church family, I've already stated this, the church has a canned, usually over-spiritual answer for us. And I've grown up in church this way, and you probably have as well, if you will only trust God, He'll take away all your pain. As if we didn't trust God before, right? Like what brought us to this point? How did I even get here if I didn't trust God to get to this point? But yet we'll have people look at us and say somehow you're not trusting God enough. You're not pressing into God. If only, if only then God would take away the pain, the turmoil. And, and then we walk away feeling accused like somehow this is my fault. What I'm going through, the mental turmoil of my life, the affliction that I'm in, is somehow pinned upon me. And I've arrived at this stage of mental unhealth because somehow I was less than spiritual enough. Would you agree with that? We, we can do that to each other. It's not with ill intent. We don't do it purposely. But yet when we go to this psalm and this writer... Everything referenced in this psalm indicates that this guy is going through turmoil, depression, and affliction. And somehow, he, he made the Bible. His story made the Bible. Isn't that amazing that we have stories of mental health that make the Bible? And they're not always stories of, and God delivered him, and he was victorious. And the spirit of depression was broken and cast off of him, and he lived the rest of his days in the glory of the Lord. It's it, it, the Book of Psalm. They're in there, but not every story is a story of victory. Sometimes overcoming affliction isn't about conquering it; it's about doing affliction well. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. The writer, in addition, he's being taunted. People are saying to him, "Where is your God?" Feelings of abandonment are creeping in. They keep saying, where is your God? He even begins to admit, my tears fall day and night. My tears have become my food through this affliction. His questions are deep. His questions are unanswered. And I would guess this morning that many of us have probably at some point of our life, and maybe yet to be, have found ourselves in a similar place. And if you and I were to use emotion words to describe our afflictions, I like to use emotion words. They, they really describe what you're feeling. When people come into my office for counseling, I, I, they have to talk to me in emotion words. I don't let people get by with how you're feeling. I don't know. Well, describe your marriage. Well, I'm mad at her. No, no, use an emotion word. Why are you mad? What is really ha- What is going on in the depth of your soul? And if you and I, like this writer, to use emotion words when it comes to our afflictions and our turmoils and our trauma, I, I think we would probably use words like, I feel abandoned. Uh, this situation in my life, this situation in my marriage, this situation with my parents, my job, my classroom, I feel rejected. I feel like people don't accept me. They don't love me. I feel like the outsider, the outcast. I feel like the, the kid who's picked last on the team. Anybody ever had that emotion before? I think we would use words like, I feel displaced. It's not, I'm, not in my, I'm not with my people. I'm a fish out of water. I think we would say, I'm just confused. I can't collect my thoughts. I can't rationalize. I can't put everything together anymore. We would say, I'm full of this deep sorrow. There's this grief, this sorrow. I don't want to even get out of bed in the morning because I can't process what the day's going to throw at me, and therefore, I feel paralyzed. Enemy really knows how to make us feel paralyzed, doesn't he? I feel betrayed. The people in my life that I thought would always be there—the people that said they love me, the people who've covenanted with me for life—they've walked out on me. They've abandoned me. They just keep telling me, "Read your Bible more. Pray more. You're not quoting the right scriptures. You're not confessing the right things." And Church Pine Castle family, I want you to know this morning: it is okay for Christians to verbalize these emotion words. It is okay for you to go through times in your life of doubt, unbelief, sorrow, affliction, turmoil, trauma. It's going to happen, and it's okay for the church of Jesus Christ to verbalize those feelings and not feel like somehow you're lacking in faith. That you doubted God because you didn't get all super hyper spiritual about your confessions. I've had people in my past tell me, don't ever say it because that gives the devil permission to do it. I had people tell me one time, I said, I feel like i got a cold coming on. Don't say that. Devil give you a cold. You're, you're owning it. And I'm like, shut up. Amen. That's a Hebrew word that means literally shut up. <laughs> you know, when, when you take away the emotional words and the pains and the traumas and the afflictions and the depression you might as well take the book of psalm out of the bible because david's life just let's look at him alone as one of the authors and writers of many of the books of psalm his entire life was dealing with his affliction his traumas and his pains and living out of caves and being pursued to the point of death god where are you this writer lord why have you forsaken me people taunting me where's your god Today, that is the equivalent. I, I think what this guy was going through when people were saying, where is your God? I think that's the equivalent today of people saying, hey, just read this verse. You, you're not believing enough, so this verse should give you more faith. In other words, where's God? You're, come on, man, you're not believing in God enough in your situation. No, I am believing in God enough because he's the very thread that's helped me hang on this long. He's the very thread that's helped me hang on this long. Without these writers' words, there's no need to have a book of psalm. And in the church world, the capital C church, we cannot create a culture that tells people just to get over it and move on. When the very authors of Scripture had to process their own depressions, hurts, and afflictions. Sometimes it's not about moving on, it's about doing affliction well. And this morning, if there's those in here you are suffering today, Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's suffering. Maybe you've gone through something traumatic. I I wish I had a cure for you this morning. I I wish I could give you something, how you could overcome the affliction, depression. I can't, but here's what I can give you. In this Psalm 42, I can give you the writer's formula on how you can do affliction well. And what we see now in this Psalm that I just read to you is that the writer, even though he's valiant, he's a fighter, he's not given up, He never really ends up where he wants to be. How do you, come on, I guess you don't. How do you process that as a Christian? We're taught our whole life. When you press in, you pray through, you fast, you confess, you claim the victory. Okay, I did it all. But I never got to the place I wanted to be. What's our theology for that? Church, how how do we describe that to somebody who's like, I've done it all, but why is this still happening? Because we don't have a theology for that, because we haven't taught people how to just do affliction and depression well. We've just told them somehow if you don't overcome it, there's something wrong with your faith. And that's not a good theology. That's a toxic theology. We need to tell people, here's where God can meet you in the middle of your trauma. Here's where God can give you hope and a peace. My prayer for you, sir, ma'am. I want you to overcome. I want, I don't want you to have to go through the pain that you're feeling. But even if you don't overcome, it's not your fault, and God is still with you. And here's how you can still press through and get through until the end. This writer, he's valiant, he's a fighter, but he never ends up for where he wants to be. The whole psalm he hopes for deliverance. He he cries out to God for relief, for healing but yet struggles towards such worthy goals that he just can't seem to attain. His faith is amazing. There's there's no question of his faith, but yet he still lacks the hope and peace that he so desires. And this is strange. I, I, as a pastor, this is my 25th year in ministry, I find this odd encouragement in Psalm 42, in this writer's words, because After being told for a lifetime that Jesus fixes everything and if somehow he doesn't, it's my fault. I'm reading from Scripture itself that says the writer was still crying out for peace and hope and not attaining it even though he never doubted that God was with him. That's kind of an oxymoron, right? Because God is the God of peace and hope. But yet he's crying out for peace and hope and saying, but God, yet you are still with me. We'll unpack it all in just a second. It'll make sense if you're trying to catch up with me right now. And that then is where I draw the title from the message. I didn't want to title this Five Ways to Overcome Affliction. Because that's what we're normally here being preached, right? Five steps, five keys. This is how you overcome. This is how you're victorious. No, I just wanted to title this Doing Affliction Well. Because this writer lays out a response to his own questions about where his God is. But the writer's response in this psalm is more about he who endures to the end as opposed to he who conquers all. You know that verse in Revelation? He who endures till the end will eat from the tree of life. Say endures. endures. That's not a word I like. There's not a lot of positive promising things about endures. That usually means that I've got to suck it up for a while, <laughs> right? I've, I've got to press into this. I, it's not going away. I don't like endure. Like, that's the word they use to me when they want me to go to the gym or run a marathon. Like, you're just going to have to endure it. And I'm like, does this look like a marathon running body? No, I don't want to endure. only thing I want to endure is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I I don't want to endure the hard stuff. God, I want this to be easy. God, when they led me to the Lord and they told me to pray the sinner's prayer, God, they led me to believe it would all be easy, that you would be the overcoming God, the mighty victorious God. But yet... God said, oh, I am through your affliction that you endure to the end. I will show you the might and the overcoming power to those who will eat from the tree of life. And oftentimes, we're looking for the victory. We want it now, right? We want to see everything this side of heaven. When God said, but on the other side of heaven, I lay up for you the crown of life. So this is about enduring. The writer is laying out endurance and my prayer for this church family this morning pine castle allow this psalm, allow all the psalms this year strength for everyday living allow the psalms this year to resonate deep in your soul this is this is a beautiful book of poetry then this entire book shows the different faces of god and his character in your life and every psalm is written with a modern day response to what you and i toil through So this whole year, today, let these psalms instruct you and shape you. And I love Psalm 1. Psalm 1, blessed is he who's planted by streams of living water. And Psalm 1 says that when we meditate upon these psalms. See, the psalms aren't meant to just be read through quickly as you check off your yearly Bible reading plan. Come on. That's how we do the Bible, right? Got to check them boxes every day. That's the law psalm says hey when you get to my book you need to slow down and you need to meditate you need to let this sink that is why it says planted by streams so that your roots only go deep down into the water they're not spreading out aimlessly searching for a source they're going down to the source you meditate you let these sink in to your soul so let's get started I'll move quickly through this I want to talk today about responding to affliction. I want to talk about how this writer of Psalm 42 responded to affliction. Let's start in verse 7. Uh, Verse 7 says this, he describes the waves and the swells that overtook him. Then in verse 8, he does something very interesting. He says, but by day God loves me, and by night God sings over me. All your waves and your breakers have swept over me, By the day the Lord, though, directs his love, and at night his song is with me. One of the first things that this writer discovers in doing affliction well is this. you got to remind yourself of God's role in your affliction. Where you feel all alone, where you feel the enemy is taunting you, where you feel people saying, well, where is your God? Or maybe that inner voice inside your own head, God, where are you in all this? All I feel is what's overcoming me and overwhelming me, these endless waves upon waves of grief. But where are you in this? But then the, the psalmist does this. He remembers, oh wait, God, you are involved in this. By day, I feel your love. You're directing your love towards me. And by night, I get your song. There was a time when I, I lived in Florida. I moved in 1995. And I think it was the very first time I went to the beach. I, I, I was this kid from Montana. I'd never been to a beach, man. We have mountains and horses and you know, wild bears and somebody like takes me to the beach and I'm just thinking sharks and and they they give me something called a boogie board and I've never boogie boarded in my life. You stand up on this thing, what do you do? They're like, no, I just, you know, you see the waves, the wave comes, just paddle real fast, it's cool, you'll catch a wave and I'm like, okay, so I paddle out and a big wave comes and I start paddling and I catch the wave. Well, they didn't tell me what happens after you catch the wave. The wave breaks over you and you tumble along the bottom of the ocean in the sand, hitting your head about 95 times, and sand everywhere in your, in your swimsuit and your ears and unmentionable parts, and you're just rolling in the sand and the water's beating, and I don't know what's up and what's down and left and right, and I, I feel like I'm drowning and dying, and they're like, wasn't that fun? And I'm like, no, man, I'm still. I'm going back to the mountains, I still don't like the beats that much. But but that's the feeling when grief and affliction and depression comes over you, right? You don't know what's up and what's down. You don't feel like you have time to even process. you just just like, I just want to come up and get some air. Like, just help me get my head above this. And about the time you think you're able to gasp for air, bam, another one just rolls over you. Lord, where are you and what I'm processing in my life right now? And But this writer reminds himself of God's role. The Lord directs his love at me, and at night his song is with me. And I think at this moment in this psalm, that alone sustained him in his pain. When we're often trying to tell people, be more spiritual, pray more, read more, tarry more, quote some magical scripture, and it's all going to go away. Again, great intentions, but perhaps ill-timed. This writer discovered that when his soul is crushed, just knowing that he was loved and the Lord had a song for him can sustain the broken. Sometimes that's all we can really carry, amen? We we can't process much more than that. I I remember several years ago, Pastor Scott was sitting in a hospital in Miami. I'll never forget, I was sitting right in front of my garage. I I was working in my basement. I pulled a chair out onto the driveway. He's in the hospital in Miami, and we're talking, and I I didn't know what to say to him. I knew better than to quote a scripture. <laughs> I was like, Scott? He said, "Well, He said, I couldn't do it if I didn't have the hymns. The days I don't even want to pick up my Bible. Scripture sometimes just sounds empty. He said, but there's just something about the hymns, the old hymns of the church. And he said, I just sing the hymns, and I listen to the hymns, and I podcast the hymns, and I read the lyrics to the hymns. Because the hymns were really the scripture, because the hymns are the theology of the church which we lack a lot today. And he said, it's just, what was that? It was the song of God at night. It was the words of the Lord coming through the song where the Lord directed his love to him by day and the song by night. And in in an utter moment of despair and hopelessness, guess what? His song was with me. And it was with the writer of Psalm 42. See, those songs and God's love are the ballasts that keep us pointed in the right direction and upright. Waves of grief crash over us, but we stay in that. And church, today I want you to find hope in that. Declare God's song over you and feel His love that guides you. Number two, the writer talks about, and this is no random order, these are probably all out of order, but the the writer does this. He begins to preach to his own soul. Now you got to listen to this. Because there's some things you can't stop doing when you're going through affliction. If you're going to do affliction well, you you don't need to preach to others. You don't even need to preach to your wife. You don't need to preach. You just need to preach to your own soul. Sometimes what you have to say to yourself is the most important thing that you can do. Verse five, and he says it again in verse eleven. Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. In other words, he's admitting, my soul is downcast. I am disturbed right now. This is tearing me apart. But listen, soul, listen to me. Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise Him, my Savior and my God. Church, in the midst of your affliction, you cannot stop preaching truth to yourself. If you leave a vacuum of truth, Satan will fill it with a mountain of lies. Anywhere there's a vacuum of truth... You can bet your bottom dollar that Satan's going to come in and try to fill it with lies and only discourage you more. He's the father of all lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So you keep preaching to your soul. If you jump over to Psalm 43, same writer. He says in Psalm 43 again, why are you downcast, all my soul? Put your hope in God and continue to praise God. uh, Listen to me. This is important. Don't put your hope in man, sir, ma'am. you're you're looking for your husband or wife to get you out of your affliction. You're you're hoping your boss is going to do something to get you out of your affliction. Somebody here this morning, you're hoping that somehow the White House is going to help your affliction. You're hoping the next presidential election. Come on. You you get so wrapped up hoping that somebody's got to fix this. You're hoping that your retirement account, your stock portfolio, you're hoping that your pastor somehow is going to take care of this for you. You're putting your hope in the wrong place. The writer of Psalm 42 says, "Soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God." Don't look to the king, don't look to your bank account, don't look to your business, your job, your retirement. You better look to God. That's called preaching truth to your own soul. Martin Lloyd- Lloyd-Jones is a former pastor at Westminster Chapel in London. And this is his, his comments about Psalm 42, and this is really good. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but those thoughts are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. How many wake up in the morning thinking about what you went to bed with the night before? Because your soul is talking to you instead of you preaching truth to your soul. That's what he's getting at. Somebody is talking. Well, who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. You see, his soul had been depressing him and crushing him, so this man stands up and he says, self, you listen for a moment, I will speak to you. Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. you got to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. I love First Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. I won't belabor the story, you all know it, but... <laughs> young david rushes the battle because the king and all the armies of god are living in fear because they haven't been preaching to their soul they haven't been believing what god has spoke over israel so the king who should be in a position of leadership is living in fear bible says he was terrified and dismayed every morning when goliath came out and here comes a child runs to the front lines he's facing a nine-foot giant who's armed with the most modern weapons of his day and David runs out, and he says this in First Samuel 17 when he gets on the battlefield. He looks at Goliath, and he says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day, say this day. See, every day you preach to your soul. And he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the entire Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And all those who gathered here will know it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. So you can't, you can't put your hope in man and governments and white houses and, and other things. It's not swords and spears that save us. He says, and the whole world's going to know it's not by all the other stuff. He says, it's the Lord who saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Okay, what was David doing? Was he smack-talking Goliath? Was he trying to intimidate Goliath? Was he trying to put fear? Was a little boy trying to instill fear in the heart of a nine-foot-tall giant? No. No. David was preaching to his own soul. David walked onto that battlefield. Come on, hear this. He walked onto the battlefield. He needed to remind himself of how big his God was. There wasn't a word in that entire diatribe for for Goliath. That was all for David. He was saying, David, your God will deliver you. Your God's going to give you victory. You're going to cut the head off this giant. Everybody's going to know who the God of Israel is after today, David. Don't you be afraid. Today my hope is in my God. God. And David went out on that battlefield preaching to his own soul in what was probably one of the scariest times and worst days of his life. He reminded himself, his final words, this is how big my God is. Let's do it. One, one of my favorite worship songs, there, there's this little known artist named Matt Redmond, and he has this worship song called, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Do you know it? I'm not Lisa, I'm not Bruce, but here we go. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, Oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, Oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Here's the verse. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes you know what i love about that he's preaching to his soul he he's saying bless the lord O my soul In other words, soul, there's going to be a lot of circumstances that come at you today. There's going to be afflictions. There's going to be depressions. There's going to be anxieties. There's going to be traumas. But soul, you listen to me no matter what the enemy brings, no matter how big the giants are. Doesn't matter how many people say, Where's your God? Soul, you're going to bless the Lord today. And just like we learned in the first point, when he said, Why are you downcast? His love directs me by day, his song at night. What's this verse say? Let me be singing when the evening comes from the rise of the sun to the setting of the same church you preach to your soul and you don't let the enemy steal the words of your lips that will sustain you in your times of greatest affliction and lastly and we'll wrap this up am i okay on time you need to remember god in your past When you're fighting your afflictions and your depressions and your anxieties and your traumas and your turmoils going into the future, you need to remind yourself of who God was in your past. The writer in verse 4 says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Here's what I remember. I remember how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. Hey, when my soul is crushed, when I'm battling depression, when I'm tired of the fatigue and the trauma, I don't have the answers, I don't feel how I can do it anymore, here's what I remember. I remember as a young man walking into Scott George's church in Winter Park, Florida, and I remember, Lisa, the worship choruses that they would sing like we sang this morning, before worship God all crazy, like boyfriend songs to Jesus and all that stuff, just these, these old worship choruses that proclaimed the truth of Scripture and God's love and His Word. And we'd sing them over and over. And I was confused and I was lonely and I didn't know where my life was going and I was addicted to alcohol. And it, but I remember today, oh baby, I remember today walking into the house of the Lord and singing out with the throngs of God's people, the songs of the Lord that brought life to my soul. And today when I go through hard times, I go back and I remember, and Lisa, you took me back, Bruce, this morning with those songs. And I'll go back and I'll sing those songs to myself because I remember. Say, I remember. Listen, we're hoping for heaven, but we're not going to stop remembering what it was like before we got there. That God sustained us and God got us there in the difficult times of our life. Kathy is a lady in our church back home. She had several inner brainstem strokes several years ago. I got a call. I was in Massachusetts. They said, fly home, pastor. She's not going to live. For 12 days, she was in the Nero ICU. We walked in. She was showing no brain activity. All the elect movement her brain was gone she'd flatlined we prayed over her one day her husband called and said pastor 12 days later they've called the family in to say goodbye tomorrow they're going to take her off life support would you come and be with our family tomorrow morning I said yeah Don will be there my wife and I drove to the hospital and we brought the sacraments of communion to administer communion to the family and I took a hospital Q-tip swab and I dipped it in the juice and I pressed it on Kathy's lips and I took a cracker and I gently touched it to her lifeless body and the family's in tears and I'm crying, my wife is crying and we all partook of the sacraments together and we remembered we remembered the Lord and I turned to my wife and she's a beautiful singer she's like Lisa and I said honey we would you begin to worship? Would you just lead us in corporate worship in this room with the family? And my wife began to sing Matt Redmond's Amazing Grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. And she began to just cry and weep and she lifted her arms and we all wept and our arms lifted and the spirit of God just flooded the room and it was so heavy. And we worshiped God in that moment. And I open my eyes and I look down on sweet Miss, Miss Kathy's face. As I worship the Lord, and Miss Kathy, laying there lifeless, does this. And her hand raised to heaven. And her lips opened. And she began to mouth the words: my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. She wasn't singing audibly, but her lips began to move along with ours. And right in front of me, I'm witnessing the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life, literally a woman coming back from the dead. And we began to scream and shout, and I I don't know what we were doing, And nurses ran into the room, and they freaked out, and they started banging all the call buttons, and the neurologist ran in the room, and the neurologist is screaming, get the speech pathologist, get the speech pathologist, and a speech pathologist comes running in the room, and I'm like, we're not stopping singing, everybody keeps singing, and Miss Kathy, just her arm in the air, and just her lips moving, and the speech pathologist comes in, and he says, can you open your eyes, and her eyes opened up, and she looked at him just smiling and peaceful and the gradients of God. And he said, can you hear in your head what your lips are singing and moving? Nod. And she nodded, and she smiled. Two weeks later, they sent her to a rehab facility 40 miles away and discharged her from the Nero ICU. (laughs) See, in the presence of corporate worship, in the midst of your affliction and trauma, in the presence of God's people, this is why church is so important, when people say, I don't need church, or after COVID, I can do church at home, I can be online, and if you're watching online at home, this isn't, I'm not being mean to you, but come back to church. But people, like, I don't need this, and no, you need God's people, because Psalm 42 says, here's what I remember, I remember going into the house of God, and I remember the worship and the throngs of God's people, and it brings Life. Kathy went to the rehab facility, and I'm sitting in my office 10 days after she got into the rehab facility. It hadn't even been a month yet. She was supposed to die. I was there because they're taking her off life support. And I get this frantic phone call from her husband Pastor Will, Pastor Will, are you in your office? Are you in your office? I'm like, Don, I'm in my office. What do you need, Don? He said, I need you to run out to the parking lot as fast as you can right now. Come out here. Run. I'm in the parking lot. And I run out to the parking lot, and here's Dawn sitting in front of the office with Miss Kathy in the passenger seat wrapped up in a blanket and window down. I'm like, Dawn, what's going on? And he said, Pastor Will, I broke her out of the rehab facility for the day. They don't know she's gone, but she wanted to come and sing a song to you. I said, you did what? He said, like, I gotta get her back. They don't know she's gone yet. I, I wanted to have the video today, and I—it I, was on Facebook. I couldn't figure out how to get it on Facebook, to. But I, I videotaped it, and because she had the strokes, her 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 speech was impaired. You know, she sounded like she was a good DUI stop kind of thing. You know, and she looked at me and she said, "My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior." has ransomed me. And she sang that same song to us three weeks after they let her out of the hospital. And we just broke down in tears and Don left skid marks out of the parking lot as he took her back to the rehab facility. See, in our affliction and our pain and our trauma and our depression, I wish I, I, I could have had an answer the day she had the stroke and I didn't. Today they serve on our hospitality team. They serve coffee to everybody every Sunday morning. She never returned back to who she was before. She never did. But we've met this brand new, beautiful Kathy. Brand new, that out of her affliction that she did so well, God brought forth a new creation that just brings blessings to so many people. Sharp as a tack. But she remembered who God was in her past. And may you and I as well as we do affliction well. Pastor Scott. Thanks.
0: Great is thy faithfulness. How many of you are here today and you can at least think of one great thing that God has done for you in your past? Remember his faithfulness. And that will give you the ability to continue to fight the fight of faith great word. Would you put your hands together and let Will know how much you appreciate and love him. Great job today.